Hey gang, welcome to episode 143 of the No Persinium podcast to the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we've got John McInnes and Remington Scott of McInnes Scott. These guys, you know, you might have noticed I've titled the episode More Human Than Human. Um, uh, a, A quote a lot of you probably recognize these guys make digital humans. That's what they're they're most known for. Uh, they met while working on Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, which famously they, they turned Kevin Spacey into a, a digital human for that. They've they've done some some pretty freaky freaky shit over the years. Uh, oh yeah, um, uh, warning! I may curse. Um, watch out. Um, they 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 did like a, a there's a clip that you can find if you go search on deadline of uh, like a Harry Shearer routine about Obama and Trump meeting in the White House and they like whip together these the the two characters in like a day. Um, there's this kind of VR walk around of Trump in the Oval Office um, that is like photo real. They, they make photorealistic digital people, and one of the things they did. And John brought over this massive, massive monitor. Uh, I've got a photo of it. I think I'll add it to the show notes. This massive monitor over um, that they had done an installation for Netflix when Netflix launched Altered Carbon. Uh, and the whole idea was that you got to pick your sleeve. And so they they used a Connect. Oh, the Connect. And they used uh, another, um, you know, commercial motion capture like webcam device thing. Um, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a real, real technical nerd here. Um, <laughs> they used another like consumer motion capture, uh, in order to do, um, real time mocap on your face. In this case, my face being fed back, um, in a fully rendered, um, you know, headshot of a, a digital character. Um, and it's clear, you know, from the selection, like some of them were like based on actors, some of them, you know, based on, you know, just things they had tweaked together and it's uncanny. Um, like you want to talk about uncanny Valley. This is, this is like the climb out of the uncanny Valley. Like you can just feel, you can feel your hand about to, about to hit the crest here at the uncanny Valley. The work is, is so amazing down to the level of pores that frankly, we're going to need to worry about some wag the dog situation before too long. Uh, and what's exciting about these guys is that they get it. They get immersive. John's a screenwriter. Remington's worked in games and in film and is now in this in this realm. And no matter what technology platform we're talking about, whether we're talking about a flat screen, we're talking about VR, we're talking about AR, we're, these guys they understand immersive. So really excited to have them on the show today. 
Um, and yeah, we'll get into it in a little bit. I almost set up the entire interview. You know, we've got a little bit of business to attend to. Um, and that is, I need to thank the folks, uh, who contributed to the Patreon campaign, got some makeup from last week, uh, cause I stupidly said it at the end of the show and not the beginning. Uh, and also got a couple of new folks who jumped on this week. So the folks who jumped on this week are Michael Daly and Jonathan Pedigo. Thank you both. Um, and then last week, uh, this is the makeup round, Daniel Burns, Rob Alton, Dan Weiss, Jeff Stark, Joe Maceda, and Elaine, who upped her pledge. Thank you all so much. We have, we, we did in uh, March uh, break the $1,000 barrier. We're on the road to our next goal, which is twelve fifty. Um, the campaign continues. It is, it is absolutely critical that we become self-sustaining this year. I'm not kidding around. Absolutely critical. It is essential. Um, read into that what you will. Um, this, this, this must happen uh, if, uh, if this work is to continue. And by this work, I mean everything I'm doing in NoPro, uh, the stuff I do on the side for Leia, um, you know, organizing IDS. We, we did not take home giant paychecks from that. We, we, we were going to take a little money out of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're talking about r uh, a rent check here. We're not talking about, oh my goodness, um, <laughs> I'm putting a down payment on a house. Oh no. Oh no. Um, uh, more on that on the back side of things along with, uh, oh, you know, actually, no, here's, here's something, uh, that that'll go on the front side because, um, you know, I know people probably like skip over. I think some people may just like fast forward to the interviews just to hear what I'm, please don't do that. Listen to the interview. <laughs> what they're here for um uh I, i'm i'm that's um, not some days some days there's there's a there's a banger on the end of one of these things i don't think today is one of those things uh, i'd like you to listen to it but you know, no um okay uh, a little faster here um about a week ago we did uh, a policy note about safety both physical and psychological uh, you know requiring folks to sign their name, take some accountability if they're putting people into anything that might be physically or psychologically risky. This week, we're going to be dropping another editorial note, this one on content advisories. Um, I'll, I'll get into more about that on the back end, but I just want to flag it. Uh, it may go up today, Friday, April 6th. Uh, it may go up tomorrow. Um, and we'll be circulating it. And these, this will actually probably slow down the newswire a little bit, uh, because not everyone's going to uh, give us the full submission of information and we need the information, uh, before publishing. So we're modifying our process, um, in order to better serve you, the audience, um, more on that, on the philosophy of it on the back end. just want you to look for it. Okay. That's that. Um, I've set up the interview already. I'm excited. Uh, I, I first got to talk to John, uh, this is my first time talking to Remington and indeed Remington's on remote. So, you know, we got that, you know, thing like we did last week. Um, I first got to talk to John, it was on like, I think on my holiday break last year, like, uh, I take, I take a week off in October and yeah, that's when I got to talk to John cause it was in the run up to IDS and he had reached out. And I went down to their offices and he showed me some shit and it was like, what the hell are you guys doing? This is insane. And, um, and we had just one of those, one of those conversations, you know, uh, it was, it was fantastic. It, it makes me so happy to know that there's so many people out there who just get it. 
And these guys get it. I think I've said that seven times now. All right, let's do this. Now okay. we're recording, uh, and we're we're no longer having technical problems. So I guess technical problems are probably part and parcel of your guys' world, though, right? That's exactly what it's about. Um, great ideas. Problems. We just call them, you know, the little tiny issues that we have to uh, challenges. We call yeah, them. challenges. That's good. The challenge. It's a challenge, and we always rise to the challenge. I am sitting with John McInnes and Reming- and virtually with Remington Scott of McInnes Scott. Um, I didn't blow anybody's name there. No, oh, good. pronounced both of them perfectly. Uh, we, we get a lot of uh, mispronunciations on both our, our names. Okay, so, that's yeah. well, Thank you. Thank well, you. One up, one up for me because normally I'm really bad at it. Um, so, so just so everyone knows, uh, Remington's at, at his place. John is here with me. Richard, who's with their company, is sitting off to the side. So in case one of us says something completely wrong, you might jump in uh, with like, no, that's not how it works. Um, and I just got to see what you guys did for Netflix for Altered Carbon. Um, so maybe you guys could describe what it was I just experienced sure. there. And then we're going to dive into this whole thing about digital humans and virtual worlds and like how you guys got into making these things. Okay. So the piece for Netflix Altered Carbon was part of their marketing campaign, their global activation for the show Altered Carbon. This is John talking, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You'll uh, know from the English accent. Um, And it was an activation that went to many countries throughout the world. It's essentially an interactive screen. Um, So we built um, about, I think, 10 avatars, uh, nine avatars, human avatars. When I say avatars, I'm talking about digital humans um, that are CG humans that are based either on a real person or on a person that we created um, um, uh, just uh, using, um, um, they're not based on a real person. Um, and it's a interactive screen. So you can basically select one of these avatars and you can then see what you would look like as that avatar. So that fits in very well with the theme of the show, which is where you can basically select your body, select your sleeve as they call it, and you can then basically try out your sleeve to see what, what that would look like with you. And so we used relatively sophisticated um, tracking technology to track your upper body and your face so that when you've selected these avatars, you can look at this and whatever you do with your face or your upper body, the avatar will do exactly the same. So it's kind of like looking in a magic mirror where you can see yourself as another person. And so you can render it if you time. remember. If you if you guys remember, like the movie Avatar, do you, you might have seen the uh, making of of that movie, and you've seen actors who are on a stage and they're being their motion is being recorded, and they're wearing a headset with a camera that's recording their face, and they have to go to do this whole process to to take this actor and convert that actor into a digital avatar that is then presented digitally. Um, well, like what John just described is the process that we created was in real time. So basically, you step up to the, the monitor, and right then and there, you are driving a digital avatar. And real time using, using like prosumer technology in terms of the sensor. So it's not like those, those rigs. I mean, they were wearing like 
camera rigs essentially on their faces. Like you exactly. can see Zoe Saldana, you know, running around doing that. Uh, and now it's just like, I mean, th- this thing would look, I mean, I could probably go buy one somewhere. It would look just right at home on top of my laptop. Absolutely. This is all using um, off-the-shelf consumer devices. Uh, this is basically using a webcam, a uh, reasonably expensive webcam, Logitech Brio, um, to track your face. So no markers, no nothing else. It's literally just a webcam doing that optical, optical tracking to track your face. There's there's a whole sort of thing I feel like it's happening, and, and you two, we'll, we'll get into like who you are in a second, because um, this will explain why you know these things. Um, there's there's this thing that's happening I feel in VR AR and its relationship to both uh, consumer and professional uses, where like the film world is like miles ahead in terms of the way VR and AR is being used. I was just reading about Ready Player One and they used they used the Oculus, the Vive, and HoloLens based on what effect they were trying to accomplish or what setting they were they were dealing with. They used the HoloLens when they were on a physical set. When they wanted to figure out virtual shots, they were using the Vive. When they were doing mocap, they were using the Oculus. How much is the the relationship between what the film business is doing uh, is being affected by the advances in in all this VR, all this all this digital motion capture stuff, and and are we about to be seeing this exploding everywhere in our normal consumer world? I think you are about to see it. I mean, we we've uh, I guess we're slightly ahead of the curve, so we've been waiting for this to happen. So we're like trying to you know jolly Hollywood along to get get moving with this technology because. Um, um, Remington and I, you know, what we met when we worked on Call of Duty a few years ago, and we were like, well, this, this technology is so exciting and can be used in all sorts of ways outside of the gaming world. And it's, you know, ripe for use within Hollywood in, in all sorts of ways and is already being used in Hollywood, you know, for visual effects and motion capture that's been around for a long, long time. And, you know, Remington has been working in that space for, you know, decades now. Um, so, but I do think we're at a tipping point where this is going to become a lot more user-friendly and available in ways that haven't been in the past. It's been a very expensive visual effects pipeline, but um, it's going to become very much, um, you know, used by people, you know, just in everyday environments. And that's very exciting. That's And that's true because it has been a visual effects pipeline process, and that's a time-consuming, expensive process in the past. Uh, but... We've been taking that now, and um, not just us, uh, McKinnis Scott, but it generally um, the process has been going into the game engine for creating AAA-type video games. The, the cinematics that you see in uh, these video games are absolutely phenomenal now. There's a level of quality in uh, a lot of these AAA games that um, it's, they're like what an animated movie was 10 years ago, and this is real-time you know, part of the game you're playing. And so what we've been doing is taking that and um, pushing that into the VR. Uh, So it's no longer like, there's a lot of question. People ask uh, us questions of, you know, can you make a digital human photo real? And that question is not being, is not asked anymore. The question is for us, um, what can you do if you had a photo real digital human? So that's the question you ask. So what are some of the answers that you're finding? 
Well, it's important to note that <laughs> what we are doing is we're focusing on creating compelling performances, mm-hmm. um, digital humans that uh, you can relate with, and and they are human on on on, his, on a level that should be human. So, give you an example here. Um, you go to do some VR and someone puts like a gun in your hand and you put on the helmet and things start coming at you and you start shooting them because they're shooting at you. Um, that's not really taking advantage of what a digital human can do. Now imagine another scenario where you put the VR on and there's, um, other people there that are photo real and they may need your help or you may need to help them or you have to communicate to get something done. But either way, it becomes more of a, um, something that, that is more compelling um, on a human level. Well, that's the thing. So my background is a screenwriter. That I said it. I was hired as a Hollywood screenwriter to write Call of Duty. And that's what, for us, it all is about. It's about the relationship with um, an entity, whether that's a digital human or not, within a virtual space. And so relating to a virtual human within, within a space is, you know, opens up the whole emotional palette of any human interaction. And that's for me and for Remington is what it's all about. I mean, you know, you can go into a first person shooter and you're shooting stuff, but what's really compelling and interesting for us is actually relating to what it is to be human. Yeah. And there's one other thing too to that. Um, what we do now is we're seeing a world in which there are voices talking to us um, from devices like Alexa or Siri or OK Google. And these are kind of... Um, you just set off like everybody's stuff if they're listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, McKenna Scott. Um, OK Google, McKenna Scott. Uh, so... Uh, these are these are disembodied voices. They're voices that talk to us as if there's no is no one there. Um, and so, what that does is it 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 um, isolates us and alienates you from others. Mm. It's as if you're kind of in a jail cell and you're hearing voices outside of your room, but you don't see anybody. Um, that's not the future of connection. That that's only what's happening now because. The, they don't see, they don't think what we're doing is possible, really. There's still that, that can you make really digital, uh, photo real digital humans? There's still that conversation going on, even amongst uh, very large players. Whereas what we're operating in is the world of, well, what can we make digital humans do? And that's now being looked at, you know, in many ways, what we're dealing with is how those digital humans are going to interact with you and um, help you. Uh, to have a very uh, deeper emotional connections um, with a computer-generated character. So this, this is really, it's interesting to me framing it in terms of disconnection, right? Because so much of what, so much of the promise of the internet as a whole was that we'd be more connected to each other. Like think back to the utopian thoughts of like the late nineties. And it's like, and you could see communities of weirdos forming up and people starting to like connect with each other across distances because they were the only strange person in their town and suddenly had somebody to, to connect with. Now we're in this post Facebook era and you know, for all, for all the good things that happen, there's also this distancing effect and it's so many people they can't tell whether or not they're dealing with a bot or a human when they're arguing over the most important stuff in the world. They 
They don't treat people like there's a person on the other side of a screen. And meanwhile, we are building these digital assistants and people are starting to have these relationships and the relationships to these avatars and this, this need to rediscover the human connection or to facilitate human connection. And when we talk about, when I talk about immersive as a, as a discipline, for me, it's so much about either creating human connection or creating a, a field of ground for human connection. And I'm curious how you guys see, see the, the digital human you know, stepping into that space, particularly because one line of it can be AI behaviors or scripted behaviors, and another line can be you know, someone puppeting those characters. So that's, that's also a question than a thesis <laughs> and like a sort of a field of inquiry. Yeah. Uh, but then again, welcome to the show. So. I, well, <laughs> it's very interesting. You know, it, it can go either way. It can be both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's something that we are very conscious of. Both Remington and I, we've obviously you know, spoken at length about this and talked about it long, long into the night. Um, and, you know, Remington and I both have young children and we build this stuff because we're very excited at the future that our children are going to be able to experience. And it's not a future that we envisage where everybody's just lost in a headset and talking to some AI bot and nobody's actually connecting. Um, all of the work that we do is about how we can imagine how we can connect to us, A, understand ourselves better and understand and, and connect with uh, people um, in ways that haven't been done before. So we always look to sort of the positive side of that equation. Um, but of course, you know, the technology is going to take its course and we want to ward off against the, the negative sides of that. But we're very much focused on the positive sides of the way in which, you know, people can communicate with each other. Remington, how how is the 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 march of the technology sort of uh, affected your view of of both what the, what the art is part side of it is capable of and sort of its role in in the culture? Yeah, it's not moving fast enough. Hmm. That's that's just my feeling. I mean, we've been you know I I've been seeing this for a very long time. And, and we've, we've been on this road for a while. Uh, seems much longer than it has been. Um, <laughs> we've had great times. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But, but this has been a, um, it's, it's a long road. And it's going to be, a, it, it feels like it's going to be a long road till we get where we, we need to be. So that way we have the kind of connection that we're going to get. But we're going to make progress. You got to remember that. You know, there was Web 1.0 before there was Web 2.0. I mean, it's a lot of bad web design that was out there. (laughs) And so, right? You have to remember, there's a lot of that. And so um, we're going to go through that. We're going to see a lot of missteps and failures um, and things that are going to pop up and and, uh, it's going to surprise. But there's going to be a lot of learning. And that's the part I'm very excited about is the learning, um, how we're all going to learn and build upon each other's progress in this. It's interesting you say it's been a long road because I was I had first Justin Denton and then Edward Robles of Here Be Dragons uh, here at the apartment uh, last week, uh, one day after the other. And I think Edward and I, it could have been blurs a little bit, but like I think Edward and I were talking about how, I guess both of us did, um, how fast the phones have advanced, right? Like the fact that like 
you know, 18 months ago, all of the sensor stuff that's in the phone right now, like was, was something they didn't even dream of. And every time a client walks into Here Be Dragons, they wind up, you know, being like, oh, well, now we can do this thing we couldn't do six months ago. So we're going to build this whole like thing around the fact that you can like make an Animoji, you know, yeah. face with your, with your iPhone 10. Yeah. Um, and, and these sort of, but it feels almost like, this technology just kind of like gets packed into stuff as like a feature thing. And then no one necessarily knows what to do with it. I've been watching AR try yep. and happen yep. for 10 years and it, it's never quite, a, it didn't arrive until Pokemon Go. Yes. And it still hasn't arrived in the way. I mean, you know, still. have the iPhone 10 out and it has amazing capabilities as, as you quite rightly point out. Um, a lot of this stuff is like, what's the use case scenario for? And that's part of a lot of what Remington and I do. I mean, you know, we obviously are very much based in technology, but we're primarily uh, creators and entertainers. You know, we come from entertainment, you know, and that's about engaging with people. And so that's, uh, you know, you have to have this amazing technology. There's a lot of technologies out there are just like, well, okay, you're not going to get people in the headsets. You're not going to mm -hmm. get people engaging in that. So for us as a company and us as creatives is we're really coming up with um, real solutions to find ways in which people can actually engage with this stuff. And it is a case-by-case -case situation. You know, the job we just did for Netflix. Well, you know, we came up with a piece of technology. We make these amazing photo real, fully rigged avatars in, in Unreal 4 that you can interact with. And then we came up with this piece of technology that you can then, you know, uh, very simply track your face and map your face onto this avatar and drive this avatar. And, you know, then with the Netflix uh, interactive screen or well, there's a, a, a brand a, a, um, a, a use case for this technology that's very compelling that um, translates into publicity for a TV show so um, all of these things they're like individual bricks that we're building on this uh, new yellow road into Oz <laughs> um, so it's it's a lot as Remington said you know it, it's going to be a long road but it's pretty exciting. Every single brick we're building is 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 pretty pretty darn cool, and we're really you know discovering an audience and um, educating the audience as well. You know, it's very interesting. You've got any you know people coming up uh, you know, where the iPhone 10 is just their telephone. This technology is just their world, and what they do with it, I think, is going to be very very interesting. Mm. And we're pushing all of those use cases for it, and. A lot of that's, you know, there's a lot of imagination that goes into that. How do you combine these technologies to get people using it in really, really cool ways? I think there's, in this whole space, there's been obviously an acceleration of the technology through VR and AR, which is really super exciting. Um, but yeah, I've been sort of slightly disappointed, really, in the ways in which that's been, um, there's been less investment on the creative side of actually what you do with that. Yeah, um, there's a huge amounts of money that goes into, you know, with VCs and, you know, um, putting money into the technology. But um, people, brands, studios, um, kind of reluctant to put, you know, big money into content um, as you would a AAA game or a movie. You know, the, the, the budgets we're talking about are relative to, you know, AAA games and movies, you know, minuscule. And yet the technology in itself is very expensive to make this stuff. So, mm. you know, if we had a budget, we could, you know, make something absolutely mind-blowing that would advance the medium and therefore the technology in ways that people aren't doing right now. So um, we would like to see more of that, you know, more investment in the brain, the brain trust and the brain power because, uh, you know, it's all about the imagination. People can get very excited about the technology and the, the potential for investment within technology, but it's actually all about, comes down to the imagination. And that's the one thing that uh, people underinvest in.
I keep on thinking, oh, go ahead, Remington. It's true. What John was just saying, I wanted to add to that, it, about the brain trust. It's really hard because um, you, have, you have people asking, you know, we, we have conversations often with, with people and groups asking um, how, to, how you would do something that hasn't been done before. Every project we've literally done are projects that haven't been done before. So you have to look at this, you have to look at it and figure it out technically, but there's a level of, of, of creatively understanding what the future is going to look like and how to develop and build that future. Um, and it's hard to monetize what that costs. You know, it's hard to say this is, this is um, you know, this is, this has this has certain value. What is that value other than you know the the principal piece that you're building? Um, so you know you know when, when we when we were building concepts and and ideas for for new experiences uh, in VR and AR, um, we're looking at that. We're trying to figure out how to monetize what that is and the whole experience too. So that way. Um, these 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 experiences aren't just something that you, they have no meaning and they have no value, but they they need to have a value and meaning, and that's what we that's the core for what we were working on. Yeah, I, I I keep on coming back to the thought that we might have like tried to skip a step with how quickly everything went to consumer, um, and as for all the beauty that was behind the excitement of. Oculus being brought on Kickstarter and got this community really like fired up and and push things forward that way and sort of kick things off. There was this sort of you know, dearth of really compelling experiences for for just you know laymen for lay people who like someone who isn't going to go like oh, oh my god I can finally be in VR I've been waiting for twenty years and most people like they had stopped dreaming about that if they ever dreamt about it at all. And just this past year, we've seen Carmi Rina, we've seen just the, the stuff that's starting to just come around in AR that feels compelling, where we've got the void going, and people are finally starting to see, oh, this is what it can be, and, and now the excitement, but the tech press has already moved on. Yeah. They already are like, well, what's, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Because I've already seen what a VR headset's like, I've already seen what you know, AR was with Google Glass, which was like, what, five years ago now, seven yeah. years, it was like a yeah. long time ago. And like, and people are willing to like write it off and we're not even, we're not even close yet. We're yeah. not even close in terms of what kind of compelling experiences can be. Crafted. Well, that's why, you know, I'm very excited about location-based entertainments um, uh, in that that is going to be able to offer the public, you know, ticket paying public to see very good premium content um, again, though, I see, you know, I want to see better content. I know what can be done in this space. And there's a certain, you know, we've got to remember, we, we live and breathe this stuff, you know, yeah. but Joe Public doesn't know anything about what a really cool piece of VR content is, you know, they're for, and they're going to get to experience some very, very cool content in location-based stuff, which is great. Um, but then they're going to say... The people like manning the Oculus station in a Best Buy and like <laughs> no one's talking to them. Yeah. And it's like, like yeah. no one seems to be curious or like they've got it set up uh, like in the front of the mall with the yeah. Microsoft store and like people just walk right by and I'm like, yeah. there's a thing in there, you don't, yeah, yeah, if you could yeah. only knew. Well, I think, I think people, as I said, there's a lot of very um, cool and interesting people that are setting up location-based entertainment centers um, and they're you know, getting some very good content out there. But again, you know, I think they really 
you know, if, if you're a consumer, you know, you're spending quite a lot of money to go in there, 20 $30 a ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to do that once and then, okay, they're going to say, okay, what's next? And I, I wonder, you know, seeing the types of experiences that are coming out, you know, they really need to be thinking more long-term strategically rather than just putting some first-person shooters out there and going in and funning, having fun in the VR arcade. Yeah. Um, I think it will come, though. As I said, I mean, everybody, you know, people are very nervous about putting in a lot of money to this, you know, into this space, for, you know, and for, for good reason. But, uh, I, I, you know, I absolutely believe this is the future. Um, um, I want to make sure that there's the right kind of content out there that people to, are going to come back to. That's not going to be like, oh yeah, I already did that. I've done VR. You yeah. Know? I don't. I don't. I don't want that. And that shouldn't be the thing. People, sh- what they should be seeing is the possibilities of the future. And uh, content creators like us should be delivering the next step and then the next step. And 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 so every time they come back into that space, there's something more and more compelling and mind blowing. So every, you know, there's a reason to come back. Yeah. It'd be like someone saying like, Oh no, I don't need to see another movie. I did movies. Exactly. I've, I've exactly. seen television. Yeah. I know how a television yeah. works. Yeah. Um, how, how did you guys wind up? Cause I mean, so people know, like if they haven't seen this altered carbon piece or, or some of the other stuff you guys have worked on, like when we talk about photorealistic humans, like it is scary. <laughs> like it was a frightening level of like, oh no, that looks like a person. Like you can get in close and like, there's that's their pores. And like, if you do a photorealistic mm-hmm. version of an actual human, it looks like that person and the lighting changes dynamically. And mm-hmm. it's just like, you could believe that it's like, oh yeah, that's, 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 that's them. It's like, what, you know, like, yeah. what do you mean it isn't? you know, that person right there. Right? Well, that's, yeah, I, I love, I love having conversations with people and then I pop out my phone and show them some of our work and, and, and they're like, Oh, wow. I get that reaction still, which, which still, you know, pleases me no end because, <laughs> you know, that's what we all want, right? You know, we're entertainers, you know, we, we want to get that reaction. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, Remington and I, you know, we, we're, we're I say fully immersed no. in, in this world, excuse the pun. Um, so it's not new to us, but we're super excited by that reaction that we get whenever we show our stuff. And uh, I'm like, well, okay, this is just the beginning of something that's going to be very, very huge. It's it's old hat to you guys, but how did you wind up here? We've mentioned Call of Duty in the past, and at yeah. Remington, you've been working VFX for forever and a day. But what what takes you two guys and lands you in this space where you're creating these these digital? digital humans and building worlds for them well uh my journey was i mean i was a hollywood screenwriter i you know wasn't much of a gamer um wasn't technical i was a screenwriter um uh, all about story and character and narrative um i was hired to write call of duty advanced warfare um Activision tiny made. indie game that no one's ever heard yeah, of yet yeah so um and that was where i met remington remington was the performance capture director on call of duty and uh, we hit it off very well. Uh, it's kind of inevitable, really. You know, he's the performance capture director and I'm the writer. So we're both working with the likes of Kevin Spacey to get performance at, you know, um, into the video game. And that's specifically why we are hired to actually um, up the level of um, human emotional content and narrative within Call of Duty, within the cutscenes, within the narratives. I say, like when you're hiring an actor of Kevin Spacey's caliber, um, you know, they want to have something pretty good coming out of his, his mouth and, and his performance in a, in a, as a photo real avatar in a game engine has to be very compelling and real. It can't look kind of janky. So for different reasons, we were hired on, you know, on that game to, to bring that level of performance to, to that game. 
And it, for me, it was a real eye-opener. As I said, I love movies. I spent my whole life wanting to work in movies. And then suddenly I'm on the biggest video game on the planet and I'm you know, working at the cutting edge of uh, video game technology on the biggest game on the planet, um, you know, working with photograph avatars and immersive worlds. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is it. When I, I can remember the moment when we first got the first um, test through of the work that Remington had been doing with the actors and uh, one of the scenes, one of the early cut scenes we were looking at, and I was just like, "Well, this is this is nuts." I can remember that moment when I first saw it. It, you know, it just looked like anything that you would ever see in a movie, and so um, that was the moment. I just thought, "Well, this is the future of creating dramatic performances, whether that's in two D or in three D, in a video game, in AR or in VR." You know, because it opens up a whole new world, literally of possibilities for telling stories and interacting. Um, so we know whether that's a movie or whether that's a video game or whether that's, let's say, a VR experience. So, but, um, and that was in Remington, you know, we both hit it off creatively. After a Call of Duty, uh, we thought, okay, we've got to do something within this space. It's like, this is fantastic and exciting. And if anybody's going to do anything, it would be us. I mean, Remington's been working in, you know, with photoreal avatars for, for decades. And as I say, you know, my, um, education i take it for you know working on the game you know in narrative it was a very good combination for both of us um and initially thought well let's let's go back to hollywood and see what we can do and music was actually one of the spaces that we thought would be a very um initial jump off point for this because you know music is about performance and it's you know it's very hard to create a dramatic scene within vr using a photo real characters but mm. music is like well you've got one character there doing something very compelling and very immediate and very engaging that would be for an audience so uh you know we've done we've a proto nominative award uh, for our piece grace which is a music piece um but so we really were interested in taking game engine technologies and video game technologies and um, using that for non-gaming um, entertainment, whether that's, as I say, like movies, VR, music videos, um, whatever. Remington, how did you wind up meeting John? What, what led you to being on that Call of Duty game? Well, it was just John described it perfectly, and, um, and we hit it off um, it was really great. My, you know, I was consulting with a lot of game companies um, on the publisher level. They would want to create um, their characters and their cinematics and their their. They, they wanted more human elements in it. You know, like Call of Duty is only going to be so exciting for shooting other characters for only as for only so long. At some point, you have to relate with the other. Um, people who you are in the game with, and these are um, non-player characters. So uh, you have to be able to have kind of a relationship with them, and they have your back. You, you know, you, you're going to you worry about them, you're concerned about them, and there has to be a depth of character. So, um, and this has been the arc of how games are evolving now. They are moving to the, the phase where we really do care about the characters, how they emotionally feel rather than just the physics of how they're moving. So I would be often hired by a publisher to come in and work on their cinematics with their teams and help them uh, across the board, you know, be able to put, you know, push, push this stuff to a limit and uh, hopefully, you know, beyond what the studio can do. 
And that was um, the same thing for Activision for Call of Duty. And uh, it was great because John, after Call of Duty, I was at the Directors Guild. I was doing a, um, uh, I was, uh, doing a lecture there um, for um, digital, about the, the production and pipeline of, of Call of Duty, of how we created the digital humans and how we did the production of it. And John was in the audience. And I think, you know, the reaction to that. Well, so, like, um, so, so I, I was in the audience watching this. And of course, I've been working to, with Remington at that point for, you know, over a year. And, you know, it's very, you know, very conversant in the technologies and the possibilities of the technologies. And yet I was surprised by the questions from the audience. And I said, like, this is the Directors Guild um, of America. Um, you know, so, you know, asking kind of quite, you know, seeming uh, naive questions, you know, it's naive to say that they didn't know how these technologies work, like, you know, well, where, where is the camera? And of course, it's a, it's a virtual <laughs> camera, the camera's wherever you want to put it. Um, but, you know, I was surprised that this, this nobody had really explored this too much in, in Hollywood. So, you know, it, it was very, so I think I remember after, after that, uh, after Remington's talk, I said, look, we've, we've got to do something in this space because... Uh, yeah. This is this is too exciting to sort of you know, um, you know, just let other people take the lead here. So. And, and what yeah. was your before gaming? What was your background specifically? Like, so people. Well, I, I started. I, I literally started making games in high <laughs> school. I started making and 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 it was crazy, but um, uh, they, they you know we, we developed a technology back in the eighties that digitized actors. So where games were hand-drawn by animators, we were digitizing every frame and playing it back sequentially. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like we created QuickTime three years before QuickTime. And we wrote Photoshop to digitize and, and adjust all the brightness and contrast and photo manipulation of all these images three years before Photoshop, uh, just to make a game. And then that technology led into uh, publishers that were saying, hey, these guys are making f very photographically real characters. They're doing it much faster than everyone else out there. Um, and, and, you know, Mortal Kombat was what was using that technology. So um, I went to the studio that, that did that. Um, and we invested then in the next generation of technology, which was motion capture. And we were the first studio in the world to have a motion capture stage for entertainment in the early 90s. And, you know, we created the um, pipeline for animating motion capture. Now, it's interesting to talk about this because motion capture itself is an exact digital reconstruction of the biomechanics of a human. It's not really editable. It's, it's physically what it mm. is. So you have to have the tool sets to be able to animate it and edit it of which through the 90s, nobody had that, but we had developed it at our studio. And that's what gave us this competitive advantage because we could actually animate on top of the motion capture. Now think about it today. The most similar thing you have is volumetric. If you're familiar with volumetric capture, it's like motion capture in a way that it's recording exactly what is being seen by the cameras. Only this time, you're not just recording bio, uh, the biomechanics, you're recording fully what the camera sees but it's completely uneditable, mm. yeah. right? So if you had a tool set that can edit volumetric, you would have this, the, that's the opening of a whole new world. And that's where we were with motion capture. We had that tool set. We had the ability to do that where everyone else was literally buying motion capture systems in the 90s and trying to use them and failing. 
we were making movies. We made the, the Final Fantasy film. I was a director on that. And um, it was the first movie to come out with principal characters that were motion captured. And then there's, uh, you know, Peter Jackson literally called up and said, you know, I got these animators trying to animate Gollum. It looks like an animation. I want it to look like Andy Serkis. So I went down there and set that system up and supervised that and worked with Andy and did two towers. And so the whole process of creating a digital human and bringing it to life was kind of, you know, doesn't matter whether it's a game or a film. I kind of went from games to films. And then at some point it was like this technology that we have now in films has reached its end point. We literally don't, it's, it's really about the absolute detail. So let's go back and take the technology into interactive where we can make really big leaps again and, uh, and make uh, some big fundamental shifts and help the game industry be able to move forward in a way that you know, it, it needed to evolve. So that's kind of going back into games. And then you, now I think games are at the point where they're like mini films, they're incredible. So the next step is to go to VR or AR with this tech. John, you mentioned that you're building sort of brick by brick, the Yellow Brick Road. So what's Oz then? Where, where are we headed as we ease on down the road? So. <laughs> it's everything we all want it to be. <laughs> Everlasting gobstoppers, the whole nine yards, mixing my walk in there. Well, that's, you know, one of the things is, is uh, I like not knowing. I, li- I mm. like, you know, meeting people from different backgrounds with, with you know, different disciplines um, to seeing where this goes. You know, it's like there are certain... I mean, yeah, we can say like, oh, it's the holodeck. You know, we're all going to yeah. be like in a parallel virtual world that's, uh, you know, to, to use a term that we used in our TED Talk, you know, digital alchemy. And you can do anything and you can be anything. Right. Um, you could say that. As I said, it's like that world is obviously going to open up. Um, but it really it's going to be in the hands of the consumers. And this is why, you know, I can't wait for these technologies to be more consumer friendly. Mm. That's why I'm excited about location-based entertainment. Get people in there because it's really going to be like, how do people adopt these technologies? It's always, you know, all these futurologists. I remember, you know, growing up in the seventies, you know, in in 2002, you know, this is going to be this. And and all of those predictions were generally wildly off. No one predicted Instagram. It's funny. Um, you know, we were talking about David Bowie earlier. I remember seeing this, this interview with David Bowie back in the early 2000s. And he was saying, no, the Internet's going to be this incredible thing. And, uh, and, and he was just, you know, totally inspired by it. And the interviewer was almost, you know, sort of dismissing his enthusiasm for this thing called the Internet, you know, and. And that's exactly what it is. So, you know, I don't worry too much. I'm not a, a predictor of what the future is going to be. Um, I'm just very excited about um, what we're doing right now and what the possibilities, the creative possibilities that are opening up with the types of technologies we're exploring um, right now. I can't wait until we have more and more consumers in, involved in this because mm-hmm. I think that's, again, it's the human element. You know, the technology doesn't exist in a vacuum. It, it's really about who we are as humans and it offers us a, a palette in order to expand and grow and transform as human beings and as a culture and as a society. So, um, you know, Remington and I, we want to be at the forefront of that and, and that's really exciting to us. 
Yeah, I want to. I want to do. I do want. Gregory has got it all mapped out for us. I've got it mapped out. I'm just waiting. No. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Uber to take me there. Um, no, you know, it's it's. I look at it like like this. I and and I can't present present a timeline. Okay, I, we don't know how fast the technology is going to get there. We don't. We don't know yet, and and unfortunately, there's a lot of. There's a lot of small steps that um, will take us to marginal places, mm-hmm. and and on the road to getting to Oz, there's going to be a lot of um, ghettos. I think, <laughs> in a way, I mean, you know, I mean, like we're gonna we're gonna fall into places that are like not going to be very interesting to be, and eventually we will get there. Um, and I only think about um, certain things and, and, you know, I don't think about like um, virtual environments and stuff like that, although it's, you know, we are presented with these, these uh, challenges. But I do think about like what, what it's like to have humans. And I think the importance is connection with other humans. And I keep putting this out there. And so there's a lot of social, uh, you know, media that we're on. But I do feel like, you know, there is a level of disconnect in that too, um, being that, um, everyone in my family has a phone pretty much. And there's, there's some points during the day where we're all sitting around just looking at our phones instead of talking to each other. I, I think just about anyone can really um, understand that. This might, be the, this might be the dark future that we're going towards. Uh, people predict that where the evolution of man is not we're no longer evolving outward like we used to. You know, we were explorers. You know, we explored the world of the earth, uh, getting on boats and ships and going to the uncharted uh, horizons. And, uh, and that's uh, all been explored. Um, maybe planets are the next uh, exploratory um, adventure. But I think, you know, some, well, some people are projecting that the evolution of man is to uh, evolve inward where we are going to evolve into the technology and, um, you know, become more like going into these worlds and these experiences uh, rather than exploring outwards. And I, I would like to think it's more of the, the exploration. Mm-hmm. And my vision is, um, I think we could all imagine this, you know, you're, let's just take technology out of the equation. You're just hanging out in a room and around you are all your friends at any given time, there could be someone that you want to be there with you. And you look over at them and they'll talk to you and you could talk to them and you could have conversations. You could talk about just about anything. If you have a problem, they'll help you with that. They'll talk it through with you. Um, and they're there for you. And, and that, that could be one very, very positive future that we see. And in order to get there, I think the technology needs to be the kind of thing that's going to work really well, where you can put on a pair of glasses and it could augment this type of a uh, person that could be in your room. It could look photographically real. You're not wearing a backpack. So we don't know how soon we're going to get there, but it's basically like um, Joy from Blade Runner. Yeah. I think I think that's where we're going. You know, we'll be. I think people will be happier when they have those those relationships with where that that sort of. Yeah, you know, and we're looking at film, and we're seeing this, and. Just another note too, I think there's a lot of cross-platform that's gonna happen, you know, like film, you know, there might be characters from film or episodic that you like, and then you could bring them into your personal life 
just like you would play a video game where you're playing them, but then maybe they'd be part of your experiences, characters that can talk to you and, you know, um, be yeah, there. There's all, there's all this focus so on I digital think, characters and I, 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 you know, like Oculus did like the Henry thing and like I haven't got a chance to see Wolves in the Walls yet. But one of the things that I found super compelling last year was getting to see like a, a test involving a, a certain droid uh, from Star Wars. I think they took public. Uh, and and whereas I hadn't connected to other digital characters yet, because it was a character I already had a relationship with, suddenly it was very compelling. And, and all of the, I don't want to say all the stuff that I had imagined, but like the relationship that I had with that character, you know, in my head, this is going to sound weird. Uh, suddenly got to like be be physicalized, yeah. and this is because that's sounding really weird. Look, it was BB-8, and it was just I was treating him like it was a cat. Uh, so there, <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. but like yeah. that, yeah, that that idea of like crossing this this crossover thing, and I know that's something Edward Sachi of, of Oculus, of formerly of Oculus, has, has yeah. talked about like digital characters doing that way. Or I'm, I'm thinking about, like you mentioned, Joy uh, in, in Blade Runner 2049, or I keep on thinking actually of that now on Star Trek, they're always having people be holograms while they're talking to each other, whereas before it was like a character was a hologram, and now it's like, no, we're just using the holograms to talk to each other. And there's something really compelling about that idea of like, oh, and I want to talk to someone, you know, just look over at someone or Skype, but like, you oh, know, you're there kind of with me, you know, like the, the force Skype type thing. Yeah. And 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 it could it could you know we don't know. Yeah. Just, John is so correct. We, we we could be so so wildly off, but you know there there's potentially the future where you have your dog, and and you augment your to, onto your dog, and your dog talks to you, and you know not only is he really really physically in your world with you, talking with you, and walking around with you, but you know every now and then he'll look at you and talk to you or say something to you and. And yeah, it's time to feed him. He might say, hey, I'm kind of hungry now. And then you go, okay, let's feed you because it, it, the system knows it's time to feed him. So there's things that, like this that are going to all play into creating experiences that are going to become richer in our lives and they're going to help us to communicate with other people rather than shutting down and just being quiet and focused on this central mm-hmm. thing that's just a couple inches in front of our face. You remember the phones are only a foot or so in front of your face yeah. right now. It's just going to take you, it's just the next evolution to put those things onto your eyes. So it's going well, to happen. You put it on the eyes and then it's able to project outwards, right? Like there's this thing where we've sort of, because of the phones, it feels like we've, we've created a bubble of personal space. that's actually tighter than it's ever been. And, and we're like all retreating physically from each other because of that. And then once it gets close enough in, then it gets to go back outwards. And yeah. I think that the generation, not even, they're calling the generations coming right now, Generation Z, but I guess like Generation AA or whatever we're going to do, we run it back around. They'll probably, have, you know, grow up with the, 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 the outward tech again because it is about relationship. I mean, the thing about the phones is that, you know, when you're there, you're you're having you're having this relationship to the people inside the phone and what they're doing, and what they're saying, um, which sadly people do find more compelling than what's around them, which is like the most infuriating thing in the world. And but yeah, it is it is all about how are we facilitating relationship? Like, and, well, that's and the thing. Better. You know, you're talking about the iPhone, and every, everything these days is about the iPhone, and everybody's like. It's about the iPhone, it's about mobile, it's about social, it's uh, all of these things based around this one piece of technology that is 10 years old. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, that technology came into being and it will be superseded by other technologies. There's nothing inevitable about the way we relate to each other um, through the iPhone. You know, it's just a piece of technology that enables a certain type of communication at a certain point in time. Yeah. And that will evolve and change. And as you quite rightly say, you know, it's, it's, um, it creates a certain type of culture and a relationship to ourselves and to others and other technologies will evolve and that relationship will change. And yeah. it's kind of interesting. We could all end up, of course, just in this Echo Mirror, you know, episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> I mean, that's also the possibility. I mean, are uh, we already though? Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's exactly what the, the issues that people are, are struggling with now. I'm um, looking forward to voting for a Pixar character. So, you know. <laughs> well, of, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah we're already we're have that. <laughs> cartoon character. <laughs> These the villain, um, you know, it, it's funny because um, at some point we're going to know this is beyond us, but at some point there will be people that will, they will probably cry or they will, um, they'll be emotional when they have to upgrade their character from the version it is on this technology to some kind of new version on a new technology. And they'll never see that old mm. version again. And, uh, you know, you'll be like um, kind of let, laying to rest a, a, a family member. Um, these will probably be things, ex experiences that will happen. Uh, I, I think uh, it's not too far to oh, imagine. Oh, that's really easy. Um, Look at how comic ready. fans yeah. are about comic book movies, right? You know, they don't, or comic books in general. It's like, I don't want to let go of the the version of Superman that existed in the 80s, right? You know, and, and any kind of change. So well, there's already been the that. studies at MIT about, you know, children's relationship to, you know, virtual pets. Yeah. And that they have the exact same relationship and grieve over those relationships when they're, when they're taken away. And there's uh, a lot of interesting advances in, um, in um, virtual friends, um, robotic AI friends for, for the elderly as well. Yeah. And people start to relate to these, uh, entities as if they were real and her and those you gotta remember those emotions in people are real there's nothing virtual or false or phony about emotions yeah. you know, that you have and connections um that you have those, those meanings that are very real so i guess part uh, of it's like you know who's who's deploying those you know who's got control over like how those relationships are are accessed and deployed and well that's and, always yeah. been i mean you know our whole society is about you know who controls what yeah <laughs> that's always been you know it's been my growing is who controls the media now it's like who who can who can you know who controls facebook yeah <laughs> and now who uh you know who who does what with that data yeah data yeah i mean the the, the platform the platforms and 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 we're gonna have you know deeper emotional connections to you know, virtual assistants um, to 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 these digital characters. It's gonna, you know, you know, interface interface. It's gonna affect how we like relate to each other. I mean, people are already observing how people treat Siri and making judgments about them as people based on how they're treating a computer program. And it's because I, I think I think in many ways Siri is so new, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing is new. I I, I kind of see that these virtual assistants, there needs to be a new, a new terminology for this kind of AI, for, for the different mm -hmm. levels of AI, because the virtual assistants, I feel like they're going to be, they're, they're the assistants that are getting, giving you things. They're like the, the butler yeah. or whatever it is that 
you want to, you know, was an analog in the Victorian era, they don't, you know, you will be attached to them as you were probably to your valet. Um, there really is probably no more of an attachment there. However, your attachment to a AI that can help you um, emotionally is a completely different yeah. place. Yeah. I mean, I keep on thinking about the possibility of, you know, an AI or even V, you know, light VI that, that just, you know, is a more robust version of an assistant, but it'll just like, you know, knows and, you know, instead of just like the watch being like, you should breathe, meditate thing. You haven't done that yet today. Like a gentle reminder of like, Oh, you're off routine. You know, like that's, that's why the day, you know, are you feeling weird? Cause I noticed you're off routine. It's like, Oh, you're right. I haven't done this yet. You know, it's like, Oh, you had too much coffee, you know, but, but there's a way where you can go very THX 1138. Like, you know, like we're going to control you. And there's a way where it's like, Oh, like I've sat down and talked to this, assistant and it knows what how i want it to go <laughs> well we went to some spaces there um let's wrap let's wrap on this um in the in the in the vr ar immersive world what other than the work you guys are doing which is very really exciting what are you seeing that's exciting you right now so remington maybe we can start with you and then and then jump to john and i'll take us home uh, the VR AR world. Um, well, or anything immersive. The yeah. uh, I am probably most excited by um, video games right now. The characters in video games, and that's that's kind of where I, I, I get excited because I, I want to see those characters come to life in VR. I want to have those experiences in VR, and I'm not seeing that yet. So. Um, I, you know, we, I, I can get excited about being in a, in a light field room where I can look around and see this really cool details and feel like you're really there. Um, but you know, it's just a room at that point and I want, I want more of a human connection. And I feel like I, I get that from, from those experiences. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, hopefully where films episodic, and um, VR can end up going together, merging in ways that will be what the future of entertainment can be. And they can be kind of interactive. What, what I'm seeing um, in AR, um, I'm not sure. Um, really, at this point, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of things that look like they're going to um, help me navigate mm -hmm. my world. And I have a lot of navigation <laughs> tools and I don't need signs to appear and to tell me things and to clutter my world. Uh, I, I want a billboard free world actually. So um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I'm actually, I'd like to turn it back on you because I, I I'm always open to, to experiences. Well, you mean like, what, what am I? Well, I mean, yeah. I think of, I flashed on Carnegie Arena, um, which I, I keep on thinking about months and months later and about how they managed to use a limitation of the technology, um, which, you know, spoiler alert, like the fact that, you know, you walk through an object and you clip through and they turn that into a, a piece of, not even storytelling, but like a, a piece of visceral experience. So instead of, 
you know, like, oh, I just walk through and like nothing happens. Suddenly you're like, you're in physically inside this person. You're seeing their lungs, you're hearing their heartbeat. It was such a shock because I experienced VR guy was expecting one thing and I got something else entirely different. And then suddenly this interiority had opened up, like the, the idea that there could be a depth to this world, um, that people are thinking this way. Um, I'll, I'll flip on the AR thing. I'll, I'll, I'm excited about the idea of being able to program AR glasses to to tune out billboards somehow, so that instead of being billboards, it's just art. That's a great use. I yeah, like that one. Just, yeah. just, just tuning out all the crap. Yeah, yeah, graffiti plug-in, you know, like just or just blank. It's like this is an ad, you know, like like th- that idea of like giving us ad blocker. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the flip side, I'm I'm scared about people tuning folks out entirely, right? Like this idea of like, oh, I'm just going to find a way to, to block people. Um, but I get excited about the convergence of, of the technology with the very human skill set of, of writing, of performance, of, of finding ways to connect people. And the thing I'm probably most excited about in terms of, you know, LBE, location-based entertainment, would be shoving a live actor into something like the void or you know, dream dreamwave dreamscape 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 um yeah and i, I, and, I totally agree i mean yeah. that's the thing it's uh, yeah uh, you know it's i always you know we we're called mckinniscott we're not called mckinniscott vr we don't see these things as like well we're we're in a vr space and the vr space is a totally virtual space we're really interested in in, in the ways in which these different um, forms and platforms bleed into each other. In fact, that's mm. actually, you know, how you know, creatively I think where it's at. But, um, you know, what I'm interested in, I mean, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. My background's as a screenwriter. So I'm really interested in those performance story aspects of VR. Um, give a shout out to my friend Rob Yeskum. He's made a, a great VR um it's called, it's called a game, but it's not really a game. It's an interactive story called in, in The Invisible Hours. And it's a very good model for a way in which, you know, you can interact, uh, have an interactive story in VR in a very compelling and interesting way that brings all of the sort of cinematics of storytelling, um, but the interactive um, side of interactive gameplay um, into telling a, a story in a way that could can only be told through this medium. And so... Mm. That's what interests me, and you know, we've got you know, one of our projects is a, a documentary actually about the Bin Laden raid. Um, again, like how do you tell a story in a way uh, that's never been told before? You know, you really do lift the lid on some aspect of human experience or a story that has, has never been able to be communicated before. That's that's what I'm interested yeah. in is how to communicate something that hasn't been communicated before and using the technology and using the form to do that. And that's, that's the interesting thing is it's not just about, Oh, this form gives us some new tools to play with, but mm-hmm. like, how do we access some part yeah. of human experience yeah. thanks to the new part of the tool? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's whether that's the, on the technical side of, of immersive or on the, on the live yeah. side, it was like, and that's the thing that's compelling to me. That's then that's yeah. the history of storytelling in itself. Yeah. yeah. It's always been told through the form, you know, what is the form? And, you know, we, take movies for granted so much because they've been around for a hundred years. But, you know, of course, as we all know, um, you know, movies, you know, 
took a, a certain number of decades in, in order to cohere into how to tell, tell a story within that, that medium. Yeah. Um, and those stories could not have been told in any other medium. It's not a novel, it's not a book, you know, it's not any of those other things. It is unique and new to itself and it's constantly evolving and changing and, and expanding our understanding of the types of stories that, that we can tell as human beings. And you know, that's what excites me about all of these technologies, the virtual technologies, whether it's AR or VR, is, is what is that constantly expanding horizon? And we want to be there. I want to be there. I want to, I want to find out how to tell those stories at that new horizon. Uh, what a time to be alive. John Remington, <laughs> thank you guys so much for enduring all of the technical issues thank, we had. Thank you so much, Noah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Noah. again want to thank john mckinnis and remington scott of mckinnis scott for being our guests on the show you can find their work at mckinnisscott.com m-a-c-i-n-n-e-s-s-c-o-t-t.com also of course will be in the show notes um yeah um like i said they they make this just looking i'm looking at the website right now and it's just like all how is that not a person? Um, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, when, when, when the level of work that they do is, is going to be like, well, that's the standard issue. Um, that's, that's when our brains are just going to full meltdown, full meltdown, full meltdown. I'm looking forward to the full meltdown. Hey, uh, let's talk about the content advisory thing. So, look, I, I I know some people balk at content advisories and trigger warnings. Um, some people some people think that they're anti art, um, to which you know I I've been there. I too once thought as you did young Jedi. Um, uh, I did. Um, I was very much of the opinion that, um, you know, life doesn't come with a trigger warning. So why should art? Um, (laughs) and, and now I'm sort of the opinion that life does come with a trigger warning and that trigger warning on life is like, everything is terrible and you probably shouldn't bother to wake up in the morning. Um, so that's the thing I've, I've somehow passed into a deeper cynicism about this stuff and, and arrived at a place of action. Um, content advisories, which is what I like to call them because, uh, it, it's less charged. It is a deliberate editorial choice to call these things content advisories. I'm going to keep on saying it. Um, they're not for me. I, I, I don't, I don't require them. Um, I do. Well, with one exception, like I don't have any real interest in, in anything that would, um, you know, might be considered torture porn, right? Like, um, in terms of like experiencing it, um, I'm also not a big gore hound, so really, really gory stuff and I like, you know, 
Like, I'm just like, eh, you know, if like, if the story is really good, you know, I've been told the story is really good. Like I'll, I'll endure the gory stuff, you know, for something that's particularly clever. Uh, but it doesn't really do all that much for me. Um, never really has, uh, like I, I, I video games for that, right. You know, a gears of war, uh, you know, chainsaw blade, blah, blah, blah. Like that for some reason that I'm, I'm totally down with, but that's also video game blood. So it's never bothered me in any way, shape or form. Um, and I appreciate, you know, if, if, if a bit of movie magic or, or some kind of live special effects can make me, can get me squicky. Like I appreciate it from a craft standpoint. I just don't like to endure it. Um, so, you know, would, would throw me out. Um, so like 95% of the time, um, I just like for most genres of stuff, I just ignore anything that's a content advisory. Cause I like to go in cold. I like to not know. I am not everyone. My, uh, position on this, uh, you know, I, I don't need to inflict that on all my readers, right? There are folks out there for whom some, you know, some material is, is, is downright catastrophic. Um, when, when we talk about the following may seem insensitive, but know that I'm trying to draw an analogy for those people who have a real hard time accepting the validity of something like a a trigger warning or, or a content advisory. I think of it in terms of food allergies, right? Like I had friends who were deathly allergic to peanuts when I was, when I was a kid and even to this day, right? If I were to feed them something with peanuts in it without telling them, um, they could die, right? Now, when I was 14, 15 years old and, and someone said they got a peanut allergy, I who love peanut butter and I'm like, God, I feel so bad for you, but also that can't be right. You know, and that instinct to just like, maybe we just fed you enough peanut butter. Yeah. You ever watch anyone go into anaphylactic shock? Eh, no, no, you don't want to watch that. That's, it's not, you ERs aren't fun, right? Um, and given the nature of immersive, let's think about it. You might actually need a content advisory for peanut butter, like literally, uh, because you might be feeding people stuff. So there are emotional allergies as well that cause people to shut down. They stop engaging with your material. They need to tap out. What those psychological triggers, hence why the term trigger warning, what those psychological triggers are, you are not privy to. Unless maybe you're running an alternate reality experience where you've been data mining for people's triggers, in which case your decision to act one way or another on them uh, reflects mostly on what kind of person you are. Um, You know, Uh, sometimes people treat this stuff like it's therapy, right? Uh, Let me let me just look. There's. There's a lot of ritual and indeed there's, there's, there's touches of ritual magic in, in the best immersives. Um, there's tool sets that help people or, or can give people the means for psychological growth. This is all wonderful. Make not the mistake if you're on the creator side 
of uh, identifying thyself with the guru, with knowing better than your audience what is good for them. Because you don't. You may offer them up an experience. You may offer them up a challenge. But you don't know better than a trained professional uh, or, or, or the people themselves, what, what they are and are capable of. Which brings us back to content advisories. Now at NoPro, we've, we've always done, we've always tagged things. We've always tried to like make it clear, hey, this is gore. Hey, this has like sexual content. Hey, this has got this. That's what the tags have been for. We haven't been systematic about it until now. Now we're going to be systematic about it. Now we ask specifically about sexual violence. Um, you know, sorry if that actually set anybody off. I know some people, you know, have a very, you know, very light trigger on that. Uh, but we're talking about trigger warning, so hopefully context. Um, you might, uh, you know, we're going to be asking. Uh, probably the most detailed is we're asking for the levels of touch that are going to be involved. Um, we're not asking for specific details. We're trying to set some some kind of bounding boxes here so that people can talk about these things without disclosing everything they're going to do and without having to be, uh, you know, explicit and like, you know, create lines where, oh, you know, we, we, we figured we were going to do this, uh, but we did a little bit more, right? So we're letting people set the bounding boxes. Always better to say, hey, it might go this far and then never get that far, right? So that's sort of the way to, to treat these things. There's, there's a big list of, of options. Some of this is baked into, we've got a submission form now for the Newswire, uh, which is going to be the most efficient way to submit things for the Newswire and for the newsletters. Uh, and there's this a drop-down menu. It's got options, and it's actually a multiple choice on the touch thing. There's a yes/no question about sexual violence, and there's a box for other content advisories. Um, anything that you, the creator, think might, or maybe even suspect, right? I would I would say your standard as a creator on a content advisory is suspect. This is the kind of stuff that you would put in your waiver, all right? We've talked before on the show with folks, with professionals, about how waivers should be laid out and how early waivers should hit. You, I can understand people not wanting to put it all in their marketing materials and not being the thing that you want to lead with, right? Maybe you want to lead, you want to lead with the story, you want to lead with the flavor. You, we don't want these things to read like a, a prescription drug ad on CNN, right? You know? This immersive experience may contain, you know, it's like, no, we don't want that. We don't want 45 minutes worth of slight discomfort, uh, gangrene. No, we're not, we're not going there. Heart attack. Uh, not what we want at all, but we do want a clear pathway for people who need the information in order to make an informed choice. Most of the folks in my experience, most of the folks who have triggers know them 
and they seek out that information. They ask for it by name. They ask me for it. Hey, is this one where? And when I don't have an answer, I have to tell them, I don't know, best if you wait or avoid it entirely. Now, could be that your show doesn't have anything or doesn't have anything that would in fact cause that audience member to just shut down or ask to leave. And you know that when someone asks to leave, it disrupts the flow of the whole night, right? Throws everything off. So you don't really want that so much. Okay? Most folks know what their triggers are. They look for the information. If you make it clear how they can get to the information, then you've done your due diligence. You've done your duty. We all get to carry on. This is just the price of doing business. Simple as that. It's like paying the rent, taking out insurance. It's not fun and it shouldn't be fun, right? It just, it just shouldn't. There's folks out there who are trying to figure out where to spend their hard-earned money and whether or not they're going to have the experience they want. Note that I didn't say fun. Note that I didn't say a good time. Some folks want to have the shit scared out of them. Some folks want to be pushed. Every teenage boy, every teenage boy, I feel secure in saying this, knows how to read the film rating system. Looking for the good shit, right? You know what I'm talking about. They know how to figure out where's the sex, where's the drugs, where's the nudities. The nudities. Watch that in our lexicon. This, in some ways, is no different. There are people out there who are going to be looking for stuff. I'm sure we're going to find people reading some content advisories, and if someone decides to get completely Baroque and list like every little thing, and honestly, I am not sure if necessarily you should do that, uh, who will then be totally disappointed if, um, if what was written in the waiver is, is not, you know, actually, you know, delivered on. Um, for some people, that may seem it's a joke. And other people may be uh, deadly serious about it. What do you mean you didn't do this to me? Like, I paid for this because it said in the waiver. And you'll be like, oh, shit. I think about, you know, the lust experience. Some people walked into that thinking it was a, a, a sex club and not a piece of immersive uh, immersive theater entertainment, or whatever we want to call it these days. Yeah, right? We just got to be clear. And the folks who want to go in blind... The folks who want to, you know, have no spoilers, they'll look at your marketing material. Um, like, like if, if I was approaching this, right, if I was approaching this, what I do is I'd have my front page and I'd have my, or my landing page for my show. I have my information, anything that was particularly like, like any of the big stuff, like let's say there was sexual violence in the show. Right. Or, or, or suggested. So let's say there were suggested sexual situations. That's probably more realistic if I was like making something right. than than sexual violence just because of my own proclivities. Um, so let's say, you know, you know, sexual content matter. I'd, I'd put that, you know, on the front page. 
I'm, I might not do it as like, you know, warning this contains, but it, I might be very clear with the language. Right. And then I'd have a link to full list of content advisories or just like content advisories, click here and then click. And then anything that myself, my producing partners, my trusted friends who I had brought in on the development process because I'm developing this for people and not just for myself. I'm not doing this in my head. Anything that they flagged to me is like, okay, yeah, this could probably be a thing. Or anything that developed during beta testing, right? Okay, you're testing this stuff, right? Uh, that goes on that page. And then the people who are looking for content advisories, looking for triggers, trigger warnings, they will they will go to that page. And I'll make it clear, like, you know, it won't be in some tiny little font. It'll be, you know, like, hey, here's here's full list, right? There's a wide range of stuff. There are there are cultural things, you know, um, that can that can set people off. I understand that some folks they enjoy discomfitting people. There's a gap between artistically creating a piece of challenging work and throwing the wool over someone's eyes and tricking them into experiencing something that they would never, ever choose. That's the gap we're going around. Those are the things that we're not letting in the door anymore. If your interest is in fooling people into your super, super extreme show, um, if you're, if you're, if you're pulling a Russ McCamey and you're saying, Oh no, 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 this is nothing. And then ha ha, we're never letting you go. And I'm putting it up all on the internet. No. And it doesn't have to be as extreme as that guy goes, right? It just has to be the simple act of lying to people about what your show's about. Because even if you were telling everyone, this is going to be a super, super duper extreme show, and then they get in and it's like Teletubbies and nothing but Teletubbies, you'll get it. You'll get people like angry. We may not boot you because like, honestly, that's a little funny. Um, but you sure as hell will not have connected with the right audience, right? There's surprise, there's delight, there's wonder. There's unexpected scares. All these, all these are valid tools. All these belong in the, the toolbox. There's nothing wrong with them inherently. But if you're refusing to acknowledge that some folks need mental time to prepare, then you're not respecting your audience. You're signaling that you don't care about the audience. You're signaling that you have no interest in connecting with a wider audience. So I can't help you. I just can't. Full stop. There we go. That's where we've landed. I'm not super enthused about it. I'm not, but 
you got to do what you got to do. And we got to do this. So here we go. All right. That's a super cheery place to end the day. Um, Hey. Fringe is coming up. Those of you here in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Hollywood Fringe. June. It's April. April, May, June. Man, just two months away. Oh, my God. It's only two months away. Jesus. Um, Tickets go on sale. Start of May. We're going to do the big fridge issue. A whole bunch of shows have listed themselves as immersive. We're going to start the process of investigating those, which is going to take up the next, most of the next of my two weeks. Um, there's definitely a few things that look really, really interesting. And hopefully I'll get some interviews up uh, with some of those folks before all that happens. Okay. The angry little machines are buzzing at me, calling my attention. I got to go to work. Oh, yeah. Remember, this isn't the day job. Be fun if it was, wouldn't it? Here we go. Let's do the numbers. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Arthur Tubman, Ari Herstand, and Ross Sigworth. You can find us at nopersinium.com. We're at no underscore persinium on Instagram. We're at no persinium on Twitter. We have the Facebook group, Everything Immersive, along with our friends from Room Escape Artist and Ricky Briganti. Um, you can find me at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. I got a bunch of announcements coming soon. And of course, the Patreon is at patreon.com slash where you can also find our backer-only podcast, which are just tiny little little nuggets here and there, uh, called The Irregular, uh, those of you who back at the $5 or higher level. And indeed, we totally need that. Okay, that's the whole thing. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. 